Good to see you guys. You're looking good today. Yeah. You know, whenever they do that song, that second song, it's really a fraction of an old song that they've kind of, kind of spliced into their, into their own flavor, as you could tell. But it always, it always hits me so deep. It, it kind of gets me sensitive, you know? And I could really be a hot mess up here if I let myself. So I have to think of tough guy type of things, you know, before I talk because I remember being, when I was a young believer, I would, I would play that song on repeat at night while I slept because I stepped into this life and it was so very real to me um, that I always wanted to be in, in like that place of worship and that connection and um, even in my room, you know, and uh, you know, it's as a kid who had had nightmares and night terrors and stuff, you know, all through his childhood and, and supernatural experiences and these types of things coming into this life of authority and the love of God and the supernatural walk that was Christianity. You know, it, it brings me back to that freshness of how I felt when I would be sleeping <laughs> by myself in a bed that was too small for me because I'm kind of long, but that's the way it was for me when I was out on my own and, and uh, you know, listening to, to that worship you know, through the night and having experiences that I remember of, you know, like it says in Psalm 104 verse four, like he makes his angels as the winds and his servants as flames of fire. And, and there would be nights where I would have experiences where the angelic would come into the room in such force that the fan would spin like it was on ultra high in my bedroom. <laughs> it would spin so hard, honestly, from the winds that they would come with that the the light, the string on the light would be ding, 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 you know what I mean? And wake me up, you know, um, from, from these encounters and these things that were happening in my life, this, this vibrant Christian life that we have, you know, that the Bible was coming alive to me. And this is like actual real Christianity, you know what I mean? And I was just so geeked out and um, addicted really to the presence of God and the things of God 24 hours a day. And so I hear that little, that little song that they're singing and it just, it like takes me back to my own personal, private, relational connection to God, which now often I get, you know, I share, you know what I'm saying? And um, I don't know, it just, it really, it really touches me. And I didn't, you know, I was, I had real bad allergies pretty much to everything. So like I didn't sleep with a fan on and stuff in my room, you know what I mean? So when that thing would be cranked up hard like that, I would know. I was like, I didn't turn that thing on. You know, those guys, them boys coming to bring a dream or a vision or whatever they were doing. As you know how this thing works, maybe you do. Um, but maybe I need to cut that off of the podcast and start the message. Um, you know, or maybe I don't, you know, which is the reason why I couldn't sit through church services very well. Because I experienced this life and it was very real to me. And I could smell and sniff when it wasn't real. And so I was, I was also, that was my real allergy, was being allergic to fakeness and religion. So that allergy I've not got over. All my other allergies I don't have anymore. Uh, you know, that one I'm very much still hyper allergic to. But, you know, today I want to come out to talk about coming out of the mindsets of judgment that literally find their origin in the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil, the, the, the poisonous fruit that got everything off track. The knowledge of what was good and what was evil. The ability, or so we thought, the power to be able to judge good and evil. And um, it's that many people really hold to a theology or like a belief system 
that's rooted in the reality of that's not rooted in the reality of who of who God is as manifested in Jesus, but it's actually rooted in the bipolar view that's a direct result of that poisonous fruit, that poisonous fruit of the bipolar knowledge of good and evil. And um, there's something about that fruit we can, in the mindset of Adam, in the mindset of judgment, we can so adhere to a belief that God is, God is just judgmental in the way that we think he is. And we could side with that to such a degree that we're angry at his goodness when it manifests for other people, especially if we deem them as being unworthy. It can make us mad. Why are you being good to them? They haven't worked like I've worked. You know what I mean? Like the, the fruit of all these things. You know, I read this week, I was, I was reading through, um, I read Matthew 20 this week. Um, and it's this parable that Jesus is actually talking about, you know, the, the first being last and the last being first. And he says something about the kingdom of heaven. He's given this understanding of what, of what the reality of the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's like a landowner owner who went out early in the morning and hired people, day workers, day laborers, um, for his vineyard. And, you know, we don't really have that necessarily so much of an occupation. We have it a lot, a lot over here. A lot of people still do that in, in our town, or some people do, but it was very common in those days. Because people were really... Just, you know, just because of the time frame that they were in, like the Romans had come in and they had really ransacked and taken a lot of people's property and land that weren't able to afford all these steep taxes and such. And, and so a lot of people were like really out of pocket and were would really just looking for work on a day to day basis to be able to provide for their family every single day. It was kind of a tough scene. But um, anyways, this analogy that Jesus is giving and that's probably why because of the time frame they were living in was this guy goes out early in the morning I would imagine sunrise you know six to seven somewhere in there and and he comes and he hires these laborers but it says in, in Matthew 20 verse 2 that he, he he agreed with them he said I'll pay you a denarius for a day of work in my in my vineyard and so that was a good deal it's like yeah that's a good solid day of work that'll that'll give me some provision and all this but the story goes as he continues to talk about it is he goes, he goes out basically at 9 a.m. and he sees people that are still out there and he says, hey man, come, come, come and I'm going to give you what's fair, what is right. It says he goes out and he goes out at the 6th and the ninth hour, which is basically 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock, and he does the exact same thing. And so finally he goes out at 5 p.m., which is like an hour before we're going to close, you know what I mean? And he, and he says the same, what are you guys still doing out here? So here's this, this landowner of this vineyard and he's going out ever since early in the day. I'll give you a full denarius if you'll come work for me for the day. They're like, yes, yeah, cool, let's do it. And he keeps doing it almost like every three or so hours to the point where he comes and he does it again at five o'clock when it's almost time to close. But that shows something about the heart of this, the landowner, you know, in that he wasn't actually looking for people to do work as much as he was looking for people to provide for. And so he goes out there and, he, and he's just hiring all these people. And, and many of you have read this um, parable. It's, you know, 15, 16 verses long. But at the end of the day, those came to him who were hired at the 11th hour. Um, he started to pay them first. He's like, all right, everybody get in line. Let me pay you for the day. And the first group had only been there for an hour. And he's, he's tossing them a denarius, you know, a full day's work. And so it kind of got... 
the people that had been there for a long time a little bit excited like whoa this is a oh man he's this guy he's generous he's good he's kind you know but he kind of goes in reverse order and and finally the people that have been there all day they they walk through and they get that same payment that denarius and it's just and they're just like which is a good good wage for the day i mean it's a good amount of money for them for that day and but for some reason they get upset and they're saying you know these last men that have, they've only worked an hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day he said friend i'm doing you no wrong that i not did you not agree with me for denarius is what the master says he goes take what is yours and go your way if i give if I wish to give to this last man the same as you, is it not lawful for me for, to do so with my own things? They, they obviously had a very complaining mindset. Is it, but this is the phrase that I wanted to start off with today in Matthew 20, verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things, or is your eye evil because I'm good? And that's an interesting saying, you know. So the last will be first and the first will be last. For many are called and few are chosen. And it's just like this interesting parable or picture that he's actually talking about what heaven's like. But even in the context of what we've been talking about or what I kind of opened up with, just like the viewing people through the knowledge of good and evil instead of through the love of God, you know, viewing ourselves through the knowledge of good and evil. It's about what we do and what we work and what we earn. You know what I'm saying? And he uses this phrase, is, is, it, is it your eye evil because I am good? And it's like, you're not upset about your wage, you agreed to it, and it's actually very fair. You're actually mad that I was generous to those other people. It's like, that's, that's a hardness of heart and a coldness of heart that it's taken the love of God and actually seen somebody who is good, doing something good, and calling that being bad, being evil. And, um, you know, it's like God saying, can I be so blatantly good and you somehow still see me as evil? And this is, man, this hits to the root of all theology today or what we believe about God and who he is. It's just like he comes around and manifests good, but we still, there's still the poison of this fall that's caused people to have a misview of who he truly is. And it is bipolar. It's both good and evil. Well, he's severe, you know. He's the judge. He's, he's, this, he's a different person sometimes than he is on other times. He's, he's the, the wrathful one pouring out his wrath, but he's also the gentle one that's holding his own wrath back. And it sounds just like a bipolar pagan god, but that's where that model comes from. And Jesus is making, making a, uh, a deliberate distinction of what an evil eye is or what it means to look through the lens of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If our works are what cause us to feel loved and accepted by God, then when we miss the mark, we will feel rejected and unloved by God. You know what I mean? It's like, well, he's not, he, you know, it's like, then when we drop the ball, it's all of a sudden, I'm not good with God. He's, he doesn't love me. It's just like, well, what kind of robot is this God of yours that you have to jump through hoops in order to actually, is he, which way is he anyways? And that's confusing but it's rooted in that tree. It's rooted in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the funny thing about that tree is the knowledge of good is just as poisonous as the knowledge of evil. 
You dig? Neither one of them, it's still good by, by works and by knowledge. and by, You know what I mean? Just as it is evil by missing the mark. But there's something to that, that if we don't come to understand God's love for ourselves, that it's unconditional. It's not about what we do for him. We also won't be able to love our neighbor or love people. And in an ability to, to understand that he actually loves you, not because of how many hours you work for him, is also in direct correlation to seeing other people as unworthy if we don't feel like they've measured up. To the point where when God does goodness or does, has, gives grace to them, we're actually ticked off about it. And we don't understand why that is. It's poison, but it really is an accusation of saying that God is evil. You know what I mean? And it's, it's found its root in that fall. We can only love our neighbor as we can love our own self. You know, Jesus said, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God above all things with all your mind, heart, and soul. The second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if, our, if, our, if we don't understand the way God loves us, then how can we love our neighbor? If we're, if we're in a mindset of conditional love from God, well, he loves me when I'm, when I'm really doing good and I'm reading enough of the Bible or I haven't messed up. You know what I'm saying? If we hold that, that's the measure of the ability of love that we have for other people, which is very, very limited. You know? So our, our understanding of, of who God truly is, not being bipolar, but being fully and totally loving in the person of who Jesus really is, and being able to accept that, directly affects the release of love in our hearts. And, and, and now when we understand in what New Testament spirit-filled Christianity means that all the gifts of the spirit, they actually work by love. They flow from love. So then not are we only limited in love, we're living it in power. And we are the messengers of power that are here to actually proclaim the reality of God's love and redemption for people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If we only feel loved by God when our works are in order, or when we feel like we're living in a way that's acceptable Him, we'll judge people by that very same standard. And it's actually contrary to the love of God. That's actually religion. You know, It's a poisonous thing. Yeah. But we're actually called to know Him as He is. Can you imagine being that way to where God actually wants to pour out grace to people? And we're the instruments of that love. You know what I mean? But actually, us, under the influence of the poison of that tree, wanting more that they would be judged. And so we stop up the very rivers of life that are called to be flowing through us. You know, one of the funniest, one of the funniest stories in the entire Bible, to me, because of this dude's surly, rotten attitude, is a guy named Jonah. And, you know, we, we know, like, you know, we think of, like, Jonah and the whale or the fish and all that stuff. But have you ever really just watched Jonah like it was a movie playing in front of your mind? And, and like, a, a real just vision. And seen what God's actually saying in it. Because it's there for a reason. It's one of those prophet books that's, like, it's not like prophecies that a prophet made. It's like a weird story about some dude's life. That seems kind of ridiculous, to be honest. But especially when you see his person, his personality is ridiculous. Uh, you know, it starts off, and, and, and I feel like it goes very well with 
the mindset of judgment versus the mindset and heart of the love of God and of grace of somebody as a prophet who is actually literally called to walk and move in the redemptive power of God, which all New Testament Christians are. Um, but his mind was so poisoned from the other tree, you know, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that he had a heart of judgment that actually caused him to actually almost see God as being wrong or evil. And he still got a book in the Bible, you know? And it's like, you know, Jonah, we hear about Jonah once in 2 Kings 14. And it's like this one, it's like a random prophecy to this king named Jeroboam. is Jeroboam II, which was like a super wicked king, a super bad guy, and um, was leading the nation astray, leading them to the worship of other gods and stuff like that. And Jonah shows up and actually gives him a very favorable favorable prophecy of like God's blessing that's actually going to come to him and to the, into the kingdom um, that they're going to win a battle that they're going to regain all this territory on Israel's northern border and all this stuff and it's just like so he comes telling that to an Israeli king who's wicked but right after this there's another prophet named Amos who actually has a book in the Bible whose book's actually a real book of his prophecies, not just of his stories of being an idiot, kind of. You know what I mean? And Amos, like, basically just reverses Jonah's prophecy. And it's like, no, actually, it's the opposite of all that. It's going to be complete and totally the opposite of all that. And so here we have... Oh, yep. So here we have Jonah, when we, when we first think about Jonah, it's like he's coming in this picture and onto the scene of being kind of like, that's all we know about him. He supports the bad guys who are actually the good guys. It's almost like he's got that nationalistic uh, deal to where he's just, he's just on the side of who he's on. So that's just kind of what we know about Jonah. But uh, we'll go ahead and start with Jonah. And I'll, I'll cliff notes the book so we won't be here all day reading it. It's really only four chapters. But it's, it's the story of the word of the Lord literally coming to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1. And literally telling them to arise and go to Nineveh, Nineveh, that great city, for, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. It kind of sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah. It kind of sounds like something just, just very crooked. It's, a very, it's an Assyrian city. It's like a brutal place, like some real savages. And it's just, not, it's just not all right, right? And so Jonah, in his mind, this place is scary. This place is evil. As soon as he gets this word from the Lord to actually go prophesy to these people, he, he arises up and he flees to go to Tarshish. So he gets up and he actually goes the exact opposite way that God's called him to go, which is just so ridiculous. And as soon as I start reading that book, I start laughing. Which I read it this week because I wasn't planning on doing it, but I started reading and I was like, that's, what a character, man. And so, you know, you guys know the story he goes off to Tarshish, which is really interesting because we've been doing some of these stories and we know where, where Joppa is, this, 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 tri this seaport where the Gentiles were introduced because Peter was there at Simon's house. It's like, it's all this real cool symbolic stuff, which we're not going to do, but he goes off on this journey on the ship and the stuff really starts to hit the fan, right? They become, they, be, they get, basically they're, they're about to be completely wrecked because a huge storm hits. The mariners, the, the guys that were in charge of the ship, were super afraid. Everybody's freaking out. They, they, they know that it's something spiritual because it's such a powerful storm. It's like something none of them seen before. 
And I love what they say to him when they come yell at him in verse 6 of Jonah 1. They, showed up, they show up and Jonah is the only one who's in the deepest part of the ship and he's passed out asleep. And so they come down and he yells at him, what do you mean, sleeper? I just think that's funny. Like, what is your deal? Why, what is the, what? We're about to die. What do you mean? What's your problem? And Jonah wakes up like, oh, what? You know what I mean? Like, dude. This is obviously a, a supernatural storm. This is obviously something really crazy that's happening. So as they said, they said to one another, hey, let's cast lots so that we will know why this demonic supernatural storm is hitting us because this is not normal. So it's not, you know, maybe drawing straws or throwing dice or whatever. But the hilarious thing about it is, of course, Jonah's just sitting there probably quiet, knowing he's just completely rolling out and just kind of just sitting waiting it out and then the shortest straw comes and it's on his plate you know what i mean it's like it's because of you it's because of you isn't it and they tell him they're like jonah well, like what is this who are you where do you come from what's your country what's your job why is this happening to us because it's obviously your fault he says i'm a hebrew and i fear the lord god of heaven who made the sea and the dry land so he comes and it's not Poseidon, my God's the real God. He's the God of the sea and the dry land. Yes, it is. It's actually my fault. So the guys were like, well, what do we need to do to appease your God? How do we get us out of this? And it's funny what Jonah says. He's like, basically says, you got to kill me. Which shows you the mindset. Just throw me into the water. And it's like, this is a real character. You know what I mean? Just like, just throw me in the water. It's, it's almost like he so wants to get out of doing God's will. And we'll see, he's such a bitter biscuit that he's like, you know what, just throw me over. Not, not like, Lord, I'm sorry, I know you want me to do this. I promise you I'll go back. You have to take me back to the port. I have to go to a different way. I have to go to Nineveh. It's just like, throw me over. Like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You know? It's because of me. So throw me over. But the guys were like, we're not going to have your blood on our hands. We're not going to commit murder and throw you over. And like, there's no way. So then they start rowing at the oars. They start really like, let's try to get out of this storm as best we can. This guy's got a death wish. He's weird. It's his fault. He's sitting over in the corner with his bedhead just looking surled up. And, and finally the men started to be like, all right, this isn't working. We're just we're going to have to throw this dude over. So they literally prayed. They picked up Jonah in verse 15 and actually threw him into the sea. And as soon as they did, the sea calmed down. Boom. It says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows to him. Now, I mean, that is, that's funny. These pagan fishermen who all have other gods actually get converted. You know what I mean? They get converted and they make vows to Yahweh, the God of Israel, who's been introduced by a very reluctant uh, minister. You know what I mean? He wasn't even trying and, and his life, the goodness of God is touching people even when he fights it. I like this. Yeah. Man, this really, this dog will really hunt, you know, these days. Especially in our side of the tracks, you know, the prophetic or the charismatic movement. There's so many people that have come into agreement with a judgmental God and a judgmental um, um, forecast for our country, for the world. And it's almost like they want it to happen, but they fully believe it. But I, I have a strong feeling that it's rooted in that same poison of that same fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Yeah, and so there's that going on. But Jonah's like, you know, it's funny, he can't. God's goodness is manifesting to him. I want you to go speak to Nineveh. And it's actually connecting people to others. Even, even a prophet of God can't restrain the goodness of God from being manifest. Yeah. Verse 17, Now the Lord prepared a fish, and he swallowed Jonah. He was in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights. So that's a strange aspect of the story, and that's chapter 2. And if you want to read chapter 2 of Jonah, he, he cries out to the Lord in his affliction. He never repents or apologizes, really. Um, but he, 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 this thing is written, which ends up being the Messianic Psalm. It's, it's really about Jesus and the cross and going to where he went through the cross, down from the cross, and what he did there. Um, it's very, very interesting. But he literally started asking the Lord for mercy and had thanksgiving for the salvation of God. And it says the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry, ground, dry land. Now that's interesting, but... For, for today, we're, we're going to move right to chapter 3. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, after the whale, the, sh the uh, fish spit him out. You know, um, Arise, Jonah, and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So this time, he's learned his lesson a little. Eh? He decides to listen to God. I'm just going to do what you say. Now it's brilliant because, well, we'll get to this. So, so Jonah goes and he, he, he goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. It says Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. The word Elohim's in there, which is really interesting to me. Um, a three-day journey in extent, meaning it was basically about a 50 to 60 miles to, tra to, to, to wrap the whole thing around because it was so massive. It was the biggest city. It was bigger than Babylon, but it was very much wicked like it. And it... It would take three days, basically, is what it meant to walk a, a lap around it, a three-day journey in extent. So it says, Jonah began to enter the city on the very first day's walk. So <laughs> something that would take three days to walk around, he's walking on, on the first day, getting through it. And he's saying this, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Forty days, and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And so that's kind of interesting because... That's, that's his, his prophecy. But it says, The people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them down to the very least. Even the word came to the king of Nineveh, super wicked, super oppressive and brutal. And he arose from his throne, took his robe off, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and, and he repented, and he caused there to be proclaimed and, and published throughout Nineveh the, by decree of the king, saying, let man nor beast, nor herd, nor flock taste anything. It's like, we're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to redevote ourselves to God. Or we're going to devote ourselves to God. These are pagans. And, and who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his anger so that we may not perish? It says, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and that God relented from this disaster that he had said, um, that he would bring upon them. And so it's this beautiful story. And if the story stopped right there, we could have a nice Sunday's best. You know, we can go to the buffet right now because it sounds like that would be a great end to that story. You know what I mean? He, he gets, he's, he's bitter and, and for some reason he, he, he runs away from God, from the word of the Lord. He gets, you know, ship almost destroyed, is almost destroyed. He gets thrown off of it. Fish swallows him three days later, spits him back out. This time he's like, okay, I'm actually going to be obedient. I'm actually going to follow you. I'm actually going to 
do what you say to this highly wicked city. For some reason, he didn't want to go there, right? Not only that, there was such a supernatural power that this man was walking in that one day into a city that would take three days to walk through, and the very first day, it gets all the way to the king and all over the city, and everybody's repenting. So it's like three days, and it's like in the first day, they're already repenting in sackcloth and ashes, just declaring fast and stuff, the most wicked of all cities. And, and it's this brilliant thing, but what happens in Jonah 4 kind of shows Jonah's, it shows something of Jonah. I'll say it shows his heart, if you know what I mean. And it says being, being displeased when this happened, being very displeased in the fact that they actually repented, it says, he prayed to the Lord and said, was this not what I said while I was still in, in my own country? Therefore, now we see the reasoning behind his, his, his decisions. I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew that you're gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, who relents from doing harm. In other words, I was so part, in partnership in my heart with this other view of the way you should be. This judgmental fireball slinger. I knew that's not the truth of who you really are. I knew you weren't bipolar. I knew you were actually telling them this weakness had come before you and that they needed to turn because you wanted to give them life and them to be aligned with you. Therefore, please, Take my life, for it's better for me to die than for me to live. It's like, whoa, dude. <laughs> You're a prophet. You've just actually done something that's going to be written for all time. You know what I mean? You went through a city, and by the word of the Lord, you've, you've been an, an agent of the grace and mercy of God. And as soon as it happened, you were so ticked off that you're like, you happy now? You happy now, God? Kill me. It's time for me to die. I want to die. That's the level of, of, of this guy's mind. And it's interesting, when you look back at, his, at his, his prophecy through the city, and that's one thing that's a lot of people have always pointed out, it's like he, in Hebrew, that Nineveh shall be overthrown in three days. It was a five-word sentence. That's all he said. So... He wasn't even trying very hard to, to get the word out to rescue folks, to get them to turn. He was doing the absolute bare minimum he possibly could. Kind of like those sailors. It's like he so in his heart still wanted that fire to rain on these people that he did the bare minimum. But even the hardness of his heart and his view of the way God should be did not, did not hold God back from actually, even when he tried. Did not hold. It's like, yeah, you got, if somebody had a winning lottery ticket, like, yeah, yeah, you got a winning lottery ticket. You say it real quiet so they won't grab it from you or something. It's like he didn't want them to, to cash in on what the Lord was offering. You know what I mean? He just like, he would rather tear it up and nobody get it. You know, just bitter old, bitter old Jonah. So he gets back and, you know, obviously this, this happens and the repentance starts and you'd think he'd be happy, but he gets so surled up that he's like, I wish I was dead. You kill me now. Take me now the bitterness of his heart, which I love this because God asks him a question here because, again, God's not the devil. He's not the accuser. 
he hasn't come. He's not the convictor. You know what I'm saying? He's actually, he's actually there to pose him a question. He says, hey, is it right for you to be angry? It's kind of similar to those workers. Like, hey, is, is your eye evil? He didn't say, you guys, are, your eye is evil. You're wicked. So, hey, you think maybe your eye is evil because of my goodness? You know, you think you're, you're, you think you're seeing things from a very fallen perspective? So, and it says, so Jonah went out of the city at that and sat on the east side of the city and made himself a shelter and sat under it in the, in the shade so he, until he could see what, what would become of the city. So he went outside of town and propped himself up on a hill to where we could overlook the city. And I think we all can see from that, uh, he was hoping that there still be some fireballs coming after these people. He still was holding on to that, that judgment. It says, the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over his head that it might be shade for his head to dwell um, to deliver him from the misery of the heat that he was under. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant when it benefited him. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that the plant withered away. So the sun arose and God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then again, he wished death for himself. Now this time he's not saying it to God, but he's saying it to himself. It's better for me to die than to live. And it's like, dude, you're sitting under like a, in a super hot place that's not your home. You've done your job. You've released the word of the Lord. Now, like, it's like, go back home. But you're so bent and bitter and ticked off that you want to sit there hoping that they're going to... It's like, dude, just get up and go home. It's like, I'm not going anywhere until I see what happens. It's better for me to die than to live. You can see the depravity of this mind, but it's, it's kind of satirical, but it's, it's the depravity of the fallen mind that is dealt with, the, that, that, that thinks through and, and, and its thought processes through the knowledge of good and evil. It's so poisoned, even though it's contrary to God. And Jonah, as a prophet, knows it's contrary to God. But he's so locked into it that he's sitting there bitter, just wanting to die. So God asks him another question when he hears, when he hears him saying this about himself. He asks him another question, which how do you, you know, if, if, if God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. You know what I mean? It's just like, hey. He says, hey, Job. Hey, Jonah, sorry, Job. Hey, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah answered, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. Like, yes, it's right. Take me out. It's like, what in the world, dude? But, Jonah sa- but, but the Lord says to Jonah, you've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 100, 120,000 persons who can't discern between their right hand and their left hand, and much livestock. And that's the end of the book. But you got Jonah sitting there, they repent, and he's like, I wish I was dead, kill me now. And it's just like, is it okay for you to be that way, Jonah? It's just this, this is what walking with the Lord is look, looks like sometimes. Do you think that God allows us to be triggered in life? He allows our buttons to be pushed sometimes so that we manifest something that's in our heart that we knew or didn't know about? 
And do you think he does that so that he can judge us or condemn us? Mm -mm. Maybe he does that because he's actually paid and he sees us different and he wants us to know and be free of that poisonous fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Everything's about training in this life. We're growing and maturing. If we're not growing and maturing, we're not actually walking with him. If we're not, if we're not walking in more freedom, then it's not really the Christian walk. It's about freedom. You know what I mean? And so he's putting Jonah in situations and, and even using him. And we think, well, I wish I was just dead. You'd be like, you wish you were dead? I saved a bunch of people. Your heart's not mine. You're disqualified. You're not a prophet anymore. You know, we think this way, but that's even that is through the, the knowledge of good and evil. It's a judgmental way of thinking. And, and, and God is there in his life to put a mirror like, hey, do you think that's, do you think that's, do you think your eye might be evil? Because I'm actually good. So you think you're seeing goodness and grace and mercy and calling it and upset about it? You think that's maybe an evil fallen way to, to see things, this being this triggered? And it's like, yes, it is. But Jonah's a little tougher than most. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> so then his circumstances being, being super hot under the sun, I, was, I wish I was just dead. Hey, you've had pity on a plant, you know? It's like, do you think it's right to be this angry about that plant not giving you shade today? That you want to die? Do you think that's a normal way to be? You think that's how I created you? Yeah, it's right. I don't even care, you know? And that's, at least that's like the third strike to me that you're out. That's when we grab him by the collar. Like, look, you little punk. You know? I'm the God of life. You're trying to, measure, you're trying to tell me on this. You're trying to manifest me as this. God doesn't do, he's not this way. Even, even that's, that's the house we've been raised in. The bipolar God, you know. Even God with his attitude there is like, do you think it's right? Like, yes, it's right. He's like, hey, listen, you've had pity on a plant. There's 120,000 children there. That's what it, they can't tell their right hand from their left. That's what that means. It's like, there's 120,000 people. Like, is it their fault they were born to those people? What, what have they done? So did they need fireballs on their heads? There's livestock. There's animals there. Yeah, God obviously cares about animals. There's so much of my creation there. And you can't even see that. You know what I mean? It's like, he's not telling them, you're wicked, you're evil. But he's not having, he's not really having to. He's giving them the contrast, like, this is my heart. You have the ability to partner with me and walk into this life. And even the prophecy, when, Je when the word that Jesus said, that, I'm sorry, that Jonah was saying from the Lord... Yet 40 days and then it will be overturned. Um, that word overturn, it's brilliant. It, it literally means to, to turn about, to turn around, to be turned upside down. You know, it means all of these things. And it's just like, hey, like what you prophesied within three days, the place is going to turn. Like that was actually the word of the Lord. But in your mind, because of that poison, you took something that really was from God and, and rationalized how it was about his judgment because that's how you think it should be. You're holding to this theology and you're spewing it and it's doing harm. But the brilliance of that is it didn't do harm even though it was his agenda because God's goodness is what was manifested from it. It's so, it's, it's so hilarious to me. And I think there's a lot of that even in the day and age that we live in, especially even the prophetic streams. You know what I'm saying? That poison has trickled in from the fall, that, that judgmental mindset. And it can happen to us 
that just like those workers, we can actually not even be mad about our acceptance and our provision, be mad that the grace of God is being poured out to everybody. And so there's theological battles that are, that are kicked around in the earth. I'm reading a book right now and it's just like, you know, you have these guys that, major theologians that break down the Bible for hundreds of years and even now and, and, and you read a book and you can't even read what they want to say about what they believe because they're actually talking about each other back and forth. Well, this, well, John says that justification is like this and that God's really just concerned about his holiness and God's da 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 like, you know, Piper says da 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 but I'm saying this. And, I mean, vice versa. Piper's over there ripping people's works, just making books and selling books out of trashing people's works that talk about the grace of God. And they just go back and forth and it's just like, this is like, this is like savage animal level stuff. And, and a lot of the most savage are the ones that are contending for the bipolar judgmental fallen view of God out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's super popular, but it's going down little by little. That kingdom is coming down. The whole religious system is coming down. You know, the whole machine... But it's interesting, the way it comes down is not by let's write books and debate and go back and forth. It's like actually manifesting the good of God because we see Him and we live Him in our life. And the power of the age to come, the reality of the power that flows, even through the giftings of the Spirit, the prophetic ministry, all of these things that even Jonah was called to walk in, came because God was actually wanting a testify, to testify of His goodness and His love and His forgiveness for people. You know what's actually funny too? Uh, you know, whatever. But it's, it's, it's like Jonah is the book they read on Yom Kippur every year. The Jewish people read every year, which is so great. You know what I mean? It's like Yom Kippur, right? The, the holiest day of the year, the day of atonement, the day where the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies. Like, for some reason, they actually read Jonah because it's about the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. And also, we're releasing and forgiving those who have wronged us. And it's actually a really beautiful tradition. And um, I think it's great. Side point. Let's see. I think our point, our point for the for the day, is even like in Jonah's life, which is actually super extreme. The Lord is walking us into, into maturity in Christianity. It literally looks like sometimes us manifesting things that are contrary to who He is. But we have the ability to double or triple down on those things like Jonah and be like, I refuse, you know what I mean? Or to actually relinquish and actually see who God is through the person of Jesus, through a relationship of actually walking with Him, the way He actually does speak and treat you. And when we manifest something that's contrary to that, we understand like, whoa, this is not of my nature. This is not called to be a part of me. This has come through my life experiences or through the way I was raised or the way I was treated or even wrong beliefs about who God is. But taking every thought captive to, to, the, to the person of Jesus Christ, every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God and submitting it to the person of Jesus Christ, literally looks like even the thoughts and intentions and manifestations of our heart when we feel like we missed the mark not going back into that poisonous fruit mentality where we're like well he doesn't love me right now you know what i mean so i gotta hide from him i love that first song they wrote that one it's so dope you guys but like i hear you calling my name and it sounds so beautiful it is the exact opposite of what happened in the fall adam and eve they heard him calling the name and they're like 
hide because <laughs> we're not good right now. So we need to hide. We'll come back out when we're good. And a lot of people live their Christian walk this way, even in fellowship with other believers. They're around when they're feeling good and they're on top. But if they're having a rough week, they want to kind of hide out for a second until I got my makeup on, my spiritual, I have my face put on and my Sunday's best. You know what I mean? And it's just like with God, like there is no distinction of like, well, it's what you earned or what you didn't earn or your behavior, or this or that. It's like behavior. That's the reason Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that, well, you just get away with anything. You don't have to feel condemned about it. It means that when we miss the mark or we even make a mistake or something manifests out of us that wouldn't manifest out of him, we're not condemned for it. We see the contrast in who Jesus really is. And relationally, we go into connection with him and we say, hey, this is not supposed to be mine. I'm not supposed to have these buttons and these triggers. They've come from somewhere, but they didn't come from you. So I choose you. I choose your nature, your redemption, the goodness and kindness, the fruit of your spirit, not this. And we take those things and that's what it means to be present with the Lord, to walk with the Lord so many times because we walk through things and they manifest and instead of running away and hiding until we feel better or feeling like we have to figure out why we did something in order to come give it to the Lord, you know what I'm saying? We just go straight to the Lord who doesn't condemn anybody. And we're transformed into that nature, into that image from glory to glory. And that's where real understanding comes from. Because then you understand like, whoa, I was triggered in that anger because I was raised in a way where if I wasn't quick to answer, you know, I was going to get smacked upside the head. So then I'm that way and I manifest that way to my kids. Or, you, know, you know, it can be all kinds of things. You, you guys are smarter than me, so I don't have to explain that stuff or explain it. But, you know, it's just like that's, that's a lot of the practical way of this, this whole thing works out. And Jonah, we can see being super, super naughty. We can all agree that he's, that's a negative attitude there, yeah? Um, to the point I want to die. God is still gently talking to him, putting the mirror down. You think it's okay for you to be like that? It's like, so, you, so you're creating my image, right? Isn't that, that what my word says to you? So you think it's okay to be that surled up and want to die because I did something good? You think that's normal to feel that way? No. Okay. Well, maybe step into your real lineage. Gain some understanding why that stuff's manifesting. You know? Well, Lord, we, we thank you for the reality of, your, of the Bible and your truth and that every time we see you more, like 2 Corinthians 3 says, without a veil over our face, the kindness and goodness that leads to repentance, not the harshness or the judgment, but the kindness and goodness that we, we see you as you truly are, we're actually transformed by seeing that. And Lord, I ask that even the burdens that we carry through the knowledge of good and evil, the desire to judge, the desire to have, have power and be critical, Lord, that that burden would start to lift off of people through understanding what you've paid for. That we would know, we would know that it's not repent so that I can love you and be your dad. It's I love you and I've forgiven you, past tense, I've forgiven you, I'm your dad. So maybe think about having a mind change, time to repent, time to change. That it's not conditional. Your condition is that it is finished. Lord, I ask you that the words of your mouth that say it is finished will rest on our hearts and minds in every scenario and everything we go into this week. Let us be those messengers that aren't begrudgingly uh, releasing the goodness of God, 
that are, but are actually parading the reality of your goodness in the finished work. Let it be manifest in our lives and let it touch other people. We want to know you and manifest you more than anything. Amen. All right, well, there's Jonah.